This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. So, as you can see, an accidental fall is going to be hard to defend, given the height of the windowsill. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's an investigation for uh, more suspect, uh, and your 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 more su- suspicious deaths. Yeah. yeah, and your témoin assisté because you were the only person there. Okay. And of course, you, you're his wife. Um, now, looking for a stranger who walks in, kills him while you were sleeping right above, and Daniel was up for work is a shitty strategy. Samuel had no enemies. That Stop. Make- Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where Mike and I, two lifelong friends, watch movies separately and talk about them for the first time. What movie are we doing today, Mike? Anatomy of a Fall. Anatomy of a Fall, directed by Justine Trier and with a screenplay by her and Arthur Harari, written for Sandra Hewler, who plays the lead character. Um, In part one, we always talk about our our overall take on the film. I saw this movie in November. I recently rewatched it on Amazon. Mike just saw it after my many entreaties. I have no idea what he's about to say, but I just have to go on record. Mike, if you didn't like this movie, I am going to feel like like Michael Corleone in Havana squeezing squeezing you by the cheeks and saying, you broke my heart. You broke my heart. So no pressure, no pressure, because I think this movie is spectacular. There's no way we're doing it justice in 15 minutes. So, Mike, with my little caveat, what did you think? Part one, go. When you learn to splice videos together for the first time in high school or in college or you take a little course, there's a list of things that they teach you not to do that count as continuity errors. So if you're if two people are talking in a car and there's dialogue, you can't split sides. You're you're supposed to maintain consistent sides so that the viewer will feel like they know where they are and they'll focus on what's important, which is the dialogue. If somebody's crying in a car. You don't show the windshield, you show the person crying. And it's a list of like 20 things, which are, it's just rudimentary, elemental, filmic knowledge 
of how to place a viewer in the universe so that you can give them important information. This film on purpose violates every single one of them from start to finish. And it is absolutely, utterly brilliant. There's one genre of movie that has the right to be as long as this movie, which is the courtroom drama. And Anatomy of a Murder, for example, when we did that, we said- which we love. We, we love it. And we said how it feels like a much shorter film, even though when you watch it, it has a runtime of two hours and 10 minutes or something like that. And it gets down into all the minutia of what evidence is allowed, how people shuffle papers in the courtroom, you know, how Jimmy Stewart clears his throat. It, it, it's got all these things in it. And Anatomy of a Fall feels like an homage, even if it's not, to the movie Anatomy of a Murder with uh, a slightly longer runtime, but just as much justification for that runtime. It never feels like it sags or lags or has unnecessary information in it. And it has one of my favorite cliffhangers uh, of all time, which is the, sus the suspenseful moment where you're not sure what the boy's testimony is going to be, and you just know that he has testimony, is as suspenseful as a character pointing a gun at another character in a, in, a, in a totally different movie. And so without placing you or allowing you to get comfortable in the universe of this film, which again, I, I feel is purposeful, it's intentional, that you're not allowed to feel comfortable, you can feel for characters in a specific way, but there's something very alienating about this movie. And it I can't I can only imagine the difficulty of having the screenplay on paper and saying we're gonna shoot a two and a half hour movie without sympathy where the viewer feels alienated all the time and there's so many facts to keep together in your brain, but to make it somehow cohesive and they really pulled it off. There's that great moment the first time you see it when it clicks in your brain, oh, we're never finding out. We're never finding out. And that's a wonderful moment. That's not a moment of frustration because then you kind of, you, you want to see how the rest of it is. And then you think, well, you can't top that feeling and we'll talk about this later. But then the testimony of the kid and the story he tells about his father at the end definitely tops it. So I'm so glad you liked it. That's, that's great news. I was amazed when I watched it again. Right now it's the end of January. How much I remembered from November. I remembered like scene after scene after scene. And what I want to start by talking about is Somebody tells her at one point, your books mix truth and fiction. And so does this movie, right? I mean, all great art mixes truth and fiction, right? Like, you know, that Hamlet never existed, but Hamlet speaks of universal truths. That's why we still read it. In the world of the movie, of course, the lawyer's trying to use that to get at her, right? That in the world of the movie, the truth is, oh, you killed your husband, but you 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 put it under the guise of fiction. But I think that this movie does what all great art does. It mixes the truth of being a human being, the truth of human experience with unbelievable fictive elements and plays with them to the point where it's disorienting. And, uh, you know, it reminded me of a line, Marianne Moore, the, the poet said, had a great line, poetry makes nothing happen. And people think that that means it's a dig at poets, like, oh, it's just useless. But no, she means poetry, great art can make nothing happen that and that's what this movie does it gets you it, it it happens in front of you and you try to keep up with it and every time you have it pinned down every time you squeeze the balloon the air goes someplace else it's like trying to catch a bug and every time you hit the news you, you, you want it with the shoe the bug goes someplace else i'm going to put you on the spot and i want to put something out there as a question but i don't want to lead the witness how do you feel about sandra as the movie goes on and and how does it change and where does it land Man, that is the $64,000 question, as they say. I think that 
well, first of all, the performances in the movie are all great, so that helps. I think what's interesting about it is that she is like the governess in Turn of the Screw. So in Turn of the Screw, right, you keep trying to pin down the governess. Is she crazy? Henry James, great novel about ghosts, right? And no matter which way you you slice it, it's it's equally horrifying. So if there's no ghosts and she's crazy, that's terrible. If there are ghosts and she's totally sane, that's still terrible. In this movie, every time I tried to pin her down, a new fact would sprout out, like whack-a-mole or something. A new one would come out. Like So for example, like, you know... Um, after the lawyer comes to see her for the first time and they're up in the attic and he says, well, was he ever rash? And she says, no, he never did anything rashly. Was he drinking? No, 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 he wasn't drinking. She seems like she's a good mom. And she says, I don't want Daniel to know about these kind of things. But then you, you hear other things, right? I mean, like every time I tried to pin her down, it, it didn't work. And I think that the performance is so good and the choice of actress is so good because it's not like um, like Jimmy Stewart being put on trial or, or, or somebody like you're just drawn to. She's very cold and she's very distant, but the movie asks you, okay, so she's cold and distant, but that doesn't mean she killed somebody. Yeah, I feel like this movie takes the audience as juror to a, a way different place. Yeah. Which is, you're not allowed to see her interiority in the same way, just like you're not allowed to discuss the trial on the weekends. And I, I that feel, <laughs> right. you know, I, I know you're, it's supposed to feel jarring and it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. As far as movies go, there's a reason that we've done so many courtroom dramas on the podcast. There's a reason that courtroom dramas are so great, but this one really feels like it obeyed the rules in the sense that it does not want the jury to be allowed to, to form an opinion outside of the power of the court to direct that opinion yeah and and your reaction especially watching it diachronically the first the first time all the way through as new information springs up and you realize how deeply in love the lawyer is with her and how he's always been in love with her it doesn't it undermine your confidence in her as a character yes. it undermines my confidence when she says there's that one great bit where she says i didn't do it she like she like there's the big elephant in the room is when she's talking to the lawyer and he says and she says listen I didn't do it I just I didn't kill him and he says that's not the point <laughs> and that's you could I think a lesser director and a lesser writer would have made that a cute moment and that's certainly the moment that was shown in the trailers like haha that's not the point but if you're a lawyer that's not the point the point is we have to get a jury to believe this right she can say that all she wants but you are so deep into the wormhole of this movie that anything she says can and will be used against you. It's like when um, I think it was so somebody said about Lillian Hellman, every word she says is a lie, including and and the. I might I think get it was that Mary wrong. McCarthy. Yeah, I said that about Lillian. Every word is a lie, including and and the. So every single thing in the movie where you think she you have her pinned down, right? You're like, like for example, she says, um, oh, you know what? You know what? Actually, um, yeah, he could have been suicidal because he did take an overdose of these pills, but I didn't want to let Daniel know about that. And you're like, did she just make that up to go along with the portrait of the dead guy? And then the guy, the psychologist and, and the trial with the curly hair is like, nobody's going to kill themselves over this. He was not a suicidal person at all. So every single fact in the movie is, is undermined five minutes later. Welcome back, everybody. In part two, we talk about our favorite moments. Mike, what's yours? Okay, you, you, you just brought it up. So we have to go into part two, Okay, which is this. When the psychiatrist gives the testimony that her husband was not suicidal and starts to talk about their relationship publicly, 
he said you did this to him. You said he made him feel this way. That testimony is so unbelievably moving and it's so convincing. And we, like the audience, it's one of the very few times that we don't move or drift around in this movie. We sit there, we're forced to sit there and listen to this testimony, which really all the fanfare around this film and it deserved and it deserved it from a technical perspective it's such a simple thing it's it's a regular looking actor playing a bit part called to stand up and give a professional medical testimony about whether or not his patient could possibly have been suicidal and she stands up and she adds extra things into her testimony afterwards and she says you stand there and you talk about my relationship with my husband and what and she totally undercuts it and there's this beautiful thing happening in this movie i realized which is whatever's true is whatever's being said by the person who's saying it right now and how unbelievably disorienting it is to live in that universe that i think is why it violates all the rules of continuity it continually moves you around it shifts you from left foot to right foot right what uh, the rules of continuity are the same rules of morality in a film, which is keep me on one side so I can tell who's who. And this film says, I will not do that. I will not keep you on one side so you can so you can balance yourself. Because when she says that, I mean, she's first of all, she's such a brilliant actress. She's involved in one of the only on-screen fights between a husband and wife that I really believe, which happens in this movie. And, and when she says it, she doesn't just say it because she's on defending her life or she's defending her honor she's hurt because the way that he's talking about the relationship is not the way that it feels to me phenomenally meaning like having lived through it that recording is not the whole reality remember she says that recording is not the whole reality and she says you know when we argue we exaggerate because he used the word plunder we are used to movies especially courtroom dramas giving letting you know what you said about being disoriented and stuff like that like we welcome that in courtroom movies we're not sure about ben gazzara when we watch now to be murdered the first time you don't know when you watch the verdict how really this is going to come at the hospital we love witness for the prosecution we're like oh it's a horrible dream with tyrone power but you always get that release you always get quote unquote the truth right and in this one it denies that it, it denies that in, in every possible fundamental level as you just pointed out with the guy giving the testimony you know let's talk about that fight scene right that fight scene is i told you a couple of weeks ago and you're gonna you're gonna relish in this moment so i'm gonna set this up so you can enjoy it i said to you in our episode about eyes wide shut how much I enjoyed the fight scene between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. That is like, um, you know, that is, that is kindergarten compared to the fight in this movie is ad, ad, like advanced marital squabbling. Isn't it unbelievable? The fight scene? Because they, they, go, they can go to places or hint at places where, where we can't hear. So there's so much assumed information right. in that conversation and it all hurts. And what the fight does is, and that'll be my moment, the fight brings up every issue of the movie, right? So every single statement can be twisted around. She says to him, I didn't take up all your time. Who's stopping you? Now you get the sense that he is kind of a failure and he believes in like big projects, but there's no follow through, right? I'm going to write this novel, but I abandoned it. I'm going to fix up the chalet. We're going to rent it out. But, but you know, I can't, I, I'm not really doing that. He likes, he's an idea guy and he's looking for somebody to blame for his own failures. And every single thing she says to him, he comes back at her. He, she says, well, you know, we talked about this. When you decided to homeschool, Daniel, you were going to give up the time. And do you remember what he says to her? He says, well, uh, yeah, and that's how I formed my relationship with him. 
And she says, oh, and you're saying I don't have that relationship. And she kind of gets, she, you get the sense that she's trying not to make it a fight. She says, oh, this food is really good. But every single element of their, their marriage comes out in a fight, right? Like whose turf are they on? Whose language are we going to speak? Um, who Who's a better writer? Who gets better ideas? Um, what does your career mean? How much are you teaching? They all come out and you watch that fight and it's like a split decision in boxing. Like that's, oh, and it's so, by the way, uh, parenthetically, it's so well done. Like when you were watching the fight, didn't you forget that you were listening to the recording? It's all drawn in. Yeah. And then they show the people listening to it in court and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. There is no video for this. They're all listening to it. And that reminded me, of course, he had a habit of recording her when she didn't know it. So that adds the question, did he hit record and then pick this fight because he wanted to have a good scene for a novel that he would never finish anyway? Did he kind of provoke her? And you you don't know. Well, it's the their description of his technique, if that had been the case, is the description of the movie. I don't know. Right. I don't know if you caught that. You know, right. when when he says he he finished this project, he sent the project to a friend, and they they said, well, it's more like a project than it is a, a finished piece, right? It it I doesn't follow the aesthetic rules. It feels like a series of recordings of different moments in life that have been stitched together, which really reads like a critical paragraph on this film. If you right. talked about it, it's collage like assembly. Here's a question for you. What did you make of the fact when they all talked about different languages? And remember, her lawyer says more than once, when you're in court, you're going to have to do all this, but you have to do it in French. And there's times where she says, can I speak in English? And there's times where she's arguing. Remember in the fight scene, she's arguing. We can't speak French or German. English is kind of the middle ground. Did you have a take? Because I want to hear what you have to say about this, about the different languages in the movie. Well, one thing that's interesting is... Uh, apart from my normal gripe about how bad the English translation, the English translation does not capture any context or subtext whatsoever. But I think that's his advice as her lawyer, because technically you can speak in another language and, and the lady will translate for you, but you can't get them to feel any deeper connection with you. And so he's he's giving her advice about how to deal with the jury and how to win the jury's sympathy so that she can be acquitted. But of course, it's it's directly filmic advice. Right. And so you feel rebuffed as an audience member when uh, when they switch from English to French, depending on which language you happen to speak. Although the the implication, of course, is that the English don't speak French, but the French might speak French and English. Um, and so. There's there's something again. It's not a thing, a formula that you typically play with as a filmmaker. You want the audience to be as close to your protagonist as possible because that they're taken in. That makes them manipulable. And the film says, "This is how I would take you in if she would speak English all the time." But now, watch me push you away. Yeah. And it says it says it's going to do it, and then it does it. It also has to do with the fact that that she cannot communicate at times. She says, can I speak in English? Can I use a different language? And the movie is about not being able to communicate what this marriage was like. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of scenes thrown at you, but does the movie ever really communicate the truth of what that marriage was like? And it never does. And that's so unsettling, but so compelling, right? Okay, before we move on to part three, and we're going to pick up exactly right there. Dan, what's your moment? It's actually a fact. It's the kid's name. The son's name is what? Daniel. Daniel, also my name. And that name 
from Hebrew means God, God is, my, is judge. my judge. God is my judge. Now that's no accident. It's also no accident that he has his vision problem, right? So he's ultimately the one, he's the one that affects the decision of the case. So justice is not blind, but it's definitely visually impaired. And my moment is the part where um, he's in the, there's a part where he comes back and she can't stay at the house anymore. I don't want her around. It's almost like he wants to be an artist. I got to think about how I'm going to do this. He does the whole experiment with the dog to see if it was the same kind of thing. But there's a part when he's in the shower, you just see him kind of like stand there washing his hair. And I think that's him thinking. And that's kind of when he makes a decision. So I don't know if you had the same experience as I did, but you said before you were on the edge of your seat when he wants to say one more thing. So he tells the dog story. He tells the story about his father saying, you know, one day Snoop's not going to be around to take care of you. We all see it from his point of view. We kind of see in the movie, I think, what the jury is imagining. And then he says, that's when I knew, you know, that's when I knew he was talking about himself. Now, of course, that makes you think, well, he did that consciously. That really didn't happen. The kid had to make a decision. I have to decide something. What's going to go on? The, the handler from the court says, you have to decide. So he makes a decision. I'm going to say, I'm never going to know the truth about my mother, but I'm going to say this and it's going to get her off. And at least I won't lose her totally. But what's fascinating about that is that even if the kid didn't make that up, which I think he did, which maybe the movie is laughing at me for thinking that because that's the whole point is you can't do that. But even if the kid made that up, it's perfectly in keeping with his dad's character, self-pity, um, want to be a good dad, right? But it also, it's perfect because it gets his mom off the hook. And I think that, you know, God is my judge. Well, yeah, but he's also, he's also going to affect the judgment of the people to save his mom. Did you have the same reading of the, of the dog story? I don't think it matters right. whether he, whether he made it up or not, because he does not, he never says that he thinks his mom is innocent. What he's looking for is what a jury is looking for, which is enough plausible deniability to believe that his mother might be innocent and that's what he finds and i i think that yeah when he's in the shower he's ultimately deliberating and then he liberates her yeah he's a real jury welcome back in part three we talk about the ending or the title and i just want to finish part two mike by saying you know you, you, Mike, you kept talking this whole episode about continuity and that feeling of being disoriented. I think what Daniel, the kid, ultimately decides is you cannot live your whole life feeling like you do when you watch this film, right? So you and I had a great time watching this. For two and a half hours, you're disoriented. It knocks the wind out of you. But then you like you go back to like, you know, the rules of gravity still apply in your regular life. But Daniel's thing is you cannot go through your whole life with the same emotions you feel when you're watching Anatomy of a Fall. No, eventually you have to be able to take a walk in the woods without them dropping the dummy in the background behind you to see how its neck breaks when it hits the shed. What do you make of the ending or the title? Well, what did you expect to happen in the ending? Because the the first thing that you see is, you know, they go to that um, Chinese food restaurant mm -hmm. and they're all laughing. And he, he, of course, makes the joke that this is the first case we ever won. And they start hilariously laughing at the table. And there's something sinister i felt like i think i felt like i was waiting for the other shoe to drop the entire time because mm -hmm. she's she's acquitted and they walk out of the courtroom and then they have dinner together and he has a few drinks and then she says okay i'm gonna come home now and then she comes home and he's asleep and the babysitter's there and she says well are, are you leaving and she says yeah i gotta go and finally she sinks down in her own house and she's free but how free is she and i i i can 
kept waiting for that other shoe to drop un- until the credits came up. And that's a great feeling that you don't get the shoe. Kudos to the filmmakers that you do not get the shoe. To, to, to make an allusion to a much inferior film that everybody has seen, and people will make believe they haven't seen it, but do you remember the ad campaign for Basic Instinct with Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone? I do. What was the what was the tagline? What was the big ad campaign? It was did she or didn't she? So it was the whole thing was you know Michael Douglas is detective and is Sharon Stone this killer and are we going to find out is she the one that killed the guy with the ice pick in the first scene and the go it goes on and then in the very last shot of the film I won't ruin it for everybody you you get the answer you find out whether or not Sharon Stone was the killer or not. And it's the last thing you see in the movie and it's over. And then the credits come on and everybody kind of laughs and says, oh, wow, that's kind of fun. Now you don't get that there. And I love what you said about how it's sinister because the the verdict comes in, okay, we're going to get the denouement as they all taught us in drama school. And they're at the Chinese restaurant and there's that kind of moment where he kind of looks at her and there's that little kind of unspoken thing between them. And then she goes home and you're waiting for her to do something. Something's going to prove to us whether the jury was right or wrong and we don't get it. And if we did get something, it would be cheating. I think it would cheapen the experience. The most we get is that the dog accepts her. The most we get is that Snoop lies down and says, all right, welcome back a little bit. Well, she says the right thing. She says that the the contest that I just came through, if you lose, you go to jail for the rest of your life or you die. But if you win, you just go back to your, your regular life. And I think that they... The filmmakers force us to watch that in each excruciating detail as she as she goes, you know, she only has one moment, which is where she she sobs uncontrollably. Right. Um, you know, while they're in the car after mm-hmm. after Daniel, but you don't really get her emotional reaction as they're driving home. You only get you only have access to her when there's high drama, when the court is open, but you know, not to be too cute about it, the case is closed at the end. And I think that we're we're treated to a few minutes of the case being closed and then the movie's done. You said we don't get access to her. And again, that's the opposite of what we're used to in courtroom dramas. And whether we get totally access to an innocent person and then they get exonerated and then we're like, okay, good, right? Or it's a trick. And then we say, oh, we were fooled. Both of those things are are, are very, um, th- they're a great moment of release for us as viewers. And here you're right. We don't get access to her as a person. And every time we do get access, it makes us feel uneasy or it makes us feel like well wait a minute she's crying like that in the car okay is it, are those crocodile tears why is she crying is she crying because she got away with it or is she crying because this this nightmare i've had to live through is over well when, when she's driving away from daniel i think the implication is she's she's crying because that's the for her that's the first real consequences is that he he's dead did she kill him to have a closer relationship with her son yeah. did she kill him because otherwise his life is going to be taken up by some narcissistic egomaniac and I'll never have a relationship with him. And now I lost my relationship with him anyway. And there's, there's so many ways to read it and it, and it offers you no guidance, but of course it, it doesn't, it does so purposefully it withholds from offering you guidance. Um, but it ultimately knows where you're going. We hear people all the time use that eye roll of a phrase, my truth. This is my truth, Mike. This is my truth. And now, of course, you know, we're supposed to find the truth. You know, like I said, basic instinct, did she or didn't she? But the end of the film actually reminded me of something. Sometimes your friends say just like throwaway lines and they just stick in your head. I'm going to throw a throwaway line of yours 
back at you because you said something, I don't know, I don't even know when you said it, a conversation about something else, but you said something once and I'm like, that's a good phrase and it stuck in my head and it popped up when I watched this again. We were talking about something, I honestly don't even remember what we're talking about, but you said, we we're talking about the state of affairs in, in, in the, the, the country or something, and you said, we've gotten to a point in history where we can't even agree anymore on what a fact is. And that's kind of like what this kind of like it puts you in that space, like like it's my truth or what is a fact. And I think that this movie does that. And the fact that it does it without being cute or or without being um like without winking or without irony, but it's really it 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 does something magical, which it combines that idea of constantly pulling the rug out from under you, but also telling you like a real human gripping story. Like when Daniel's sobbing and he's telling the babysitter, just help me. I want you to help me. Like this isn't just a thought experiment. There's like real humans involved. Yeah, when you know, you hear them argue in the kitchen. Yeah. And then somebody tries to characterize it. Well, you hated each other. No. Like I he didn't hate me. And I didn't hate him. Okay, well, you were angry with each other. I wasn't angry. I was trying to defend myself, you know, and then he, you know, but, um, you know, it was, it wasn't, this is how you guys argued all the time. It's not how we argued all the time. It may have been staged. Well, even if it wasn't staged, isn't it true that you cheated? Well, I cheated, but it was right after he, you know, maimed my son for the rest of his life, which was totally his fault. Well, was it his fault? Wasn't it his mom's fault? Well, you know, and it it just goes like that in an infinite regression until they're until you just have to make selections, which right. I think is the point of the point of the film or, or where it's going. Uh, you have to select from what's available to you because to select nothing is uh, is to not live. It's like even a small detail like the song that he played to drive her crazy. Right now, I did not know that was that song did you know that song when you first heard the steel drum no. version of it so i thought it was really uh catchy and i went to look for it on spotify true story and i found it and it, i didn't know it was a 50 cent song and it comes up you know in the trial and one of my kids said um dad is this pimp by uh 50 cent i go yeah it's from this movie i just saw it was really catchy in the film remember they say, well, he played the song. Did you know the song is very misogynistic? Did you know the thing? She goes, no, I just thought he used loud music. And that that even that song, and like, I didn't know either. That was my experience with it. But you can get caught up in this machine where every single thing has another contrary. Every detail is open to scrutiny, which right. of course is, it's the mind of a filmmaker. <laughs> right, right. Every detail is open to scrutiny. One last thing. Did you happen to catch the website, the official website for this film? No. When it came out, I went to the website. It's still up there. So anyone listening, I would advise you to go to it. It was marketed with this. There's a website called didshedoit.com. And if you go to didshedoit.com, it has a picture of her. You can click yes or no and put your reason in. And once you click submit, you don't have to give your email or anything. You hit submit. You'll see where the graph stands today. And it's all these people's reasons of why it was yes and why it was no. And you said every detail gets scrutinized. What, a lot of the evidence for that she did do it is, well, the argument. But of course, they had the argument the day before. They didn't have the argument the day of. All you mm. see on the day of the murder, do you remember what you see? You see her walk up the steps after the after the student leaves. That's all you see. And you don't see her storm up the steps. You don't see her run up the steps. She just walks up the steps and the music gets louder. And then the next thing is they find the body. So did she do it.com? That's a that's a funny way to market, you know, this film. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this conversation about Anatomy of a Fall. Mike, I'm so glad you liked it. You can follow us on X at 15MIN Film. Follow us where else, Mike? Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.